After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside. Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Pastor, what does that have to do with my life? The termites, the mosquito bites, the bed bug bites. The made rights. Who's ever had a made right sandwich? Well, I'm showing my yankiness today. What does that have to do with me? Stick with it. I believe you will be encouraged in your walk of faith and your hope, which is in Jesus. Like the song says, all my hope is in Jesus. Welcome back today to our series through the book of Genesis. Before the longest spring break in history, we were going on a verse-by-verse journey through the book of Genesis looking for Jesus, and he is all over this book from the first verse to this chapter. Have no fear if you're just now joining us 
Or if you want to review, you don't have to go back over the, all the 15 chapters, but just go back to chapter 12 and read it, and you'll catch up with us today, but not right now. Just do that at another time. In chapter 12, a man named Abram was chosen by God for a relationship. He was 75 years old, had no kids, and Abram was promised by these visitations from God. This is the third one that he had in our text today. He was promised a land and a family. He was promised a nation and a seed that would bless all the families, all the nations of the earth. So this is part of a series of visitations he had from God where we see God initiating a relationship with someone who was a pagan. But God in his mercy chose this man, and this man responded to God's visitation with faith. Amen. <laughs> Verse 1 of chapter 15 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. After these things, what are these things? What happened after this? You know, timing really helps, like a picture frame, it really helps frame what is going on here. And if we do not remember what had happened previously, we won't get the full meaning of God telling him not to be afraid. In the previous chapter, four kings had come down from the other side of the Euphrates River and came south and conquered five city kingdoms and pretty much enslaved them like gangsters. They extorted taxes and prosperity from them for 12 years. And then there was rebellion, and they just refused to send the kingdoms what they wanted, what they expected of them. So they sent their armies to attack and to destroy these rebels and had captured uh, almost all the people. The kings were in hiding. The kings of these five kingdoms were in hiding. And with, the with those that were captured included was a nephew named Lot, a nephew to Abram. And so... Abraham is unaware of all this happening. He's not living there. He's up north of the five kingdom cities, up there in Mamre in Hebron. You can see there in the picture. And he catches word of it. And so at night, he's there at position six in the picture. At night, as they're heading back to go to their kingdoms, up where Babylon would eventually be and other places, he, with 318 of his own homegrown, homeboy, servant guys, attacked the enemy at night in two companies. The attack surprised them and recovered everything and sent these four armies home defeated. Great, right? But what if they come back? You know, if you use the element of surprise... If God gave you the victory, what's to keep them from deciding to come back? Because you knew it was a miracle. Miracles are not the norm. What if they come back? How does Abraham rest? 
Hence, he gets this visitation from God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What are you afraid of today? What are you in need of? Well, I need somebody to mow my grass, or I need... If you'd like to mow somebody's grass, just raise your hand and hold it high. All right, look around. The Lord just met a need. What we really need is the Lord. Abram didn't need protection. He needed the Lord. And in the Lord, we have everything that we need, right? Well, what I need is a good healing. Well, in the Lord, we have our health. In the Lord, we have our provision. In the Lord, we have our hope, our faith, our love, our guidance. Everything that we need is in him. Fear not, Abram, I am. We'll see that again and again. Your shield, your reward shall be great. Have you ever thought about the spiritual armor? How it just protects the front of us? You got the breastplate of righteousness. It protects our head, the helmet of salvation, the shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the rhema. What's covering the back? Where's the back plate at? Well, we know it's important to uh, walk in unity with one another and to have one another's back. Who would agree? Backstabbing friends are not a good thing to have. But the Lord is our protector. That's the shield of faith. Rather than being afraid of what's going to come up behind us, sneak up on us at night, our faith is in the Lord. So Abram changes the subject. He wants to be encouraged. Who wants to be encouraged? Somebody gives you an encouraging word, and you think about the last encouraging word you got. Well, you know, I hope that's true, but what about the last prophecy? <laughs> he said, he brings up the last thing God promised him the first time he visited, the last two times. He promised him a land and a people. It hadn't happened yet. He's still living in tents, still a stranger, and his wife is still barren, and they're getting older by the day. So he says, he responds to this great promise, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I have this servant guy who was born in my house. I can adopt him and make him my heir. You know, and you, you, you want to give me faith, but what about, what about that last promise? Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. My foreman's going to wind up with all this stuff, all these cattle, goats, sheep, and camels. You've not fulfilled that promise. It hadn't happened yet. What's up? You ever feel like that sometimes? What's up? The Lord responds, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So he goes outside and he sees this incredible sight. You know, you can't count the stars. According to the Bible, you can't. The invention of telescopes and 
space travel and the Hubble telescope has verified that part of the Bible to be absolutely true. But over the centuries, some moron thought he counted a thousand and two stars. Before that, another one thought he counted 790-some. The Bible says they're without number. Carl Sagan, of all people, said there's as many stars in the heaven as there are grains of sand on all the earth's seashores. You want to know how many that is, just pick up a handful of sand next time you're at the beach and start counting. And don't stop till you're done. This is awesome. This is what he has promised. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram. I thought it was just through the Jewish people. We are his children by faith. Look at this. Genesis 15, 6, the next verse after God shows him the stars, it says, Sean so eloquently taught last Sunday, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is before the law. This is before circumcision. This is before baptism. This is before the Bible. He believed God, and God accounted it to him or imputed to him righteousness. The word righteous means to have right relationship. It also means to be clothed. When the first man and first woman sinned, they realized they were naked. They realized they were unrighteous, unclothed. And the clothes they made out of fig leaves just gave them a rash. It didn't cover up anything. Sorry if I went too far there. But in your notes today, there are four passages in the New Testament and one in the Old that says the just shall live by faith. He believed God. Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So God provides the faith by giving his word. So here he gives his word and a vision to Abram. Abram believes him, and now he's made righteous. So God provided the faith by providing the promise. So God gives the promise, which provides the faith. Faith comes from the word of God, all right? And faith is proven... Its reality is proven by our life. Testimony, faith without works is dead. So faith is proven by our life. So God provides faith, the believers receive faith, and their lives prove that they have received faith. Who believes in the laws of the state of Texas? You may not like them, but you believe in them, right? So you stop at red lights, you know, try to hold the speed limit, right? But if you don't believe in them and say you do and you're running red lights and stoplights, you really don't believe what you say you believe, right? 
So what we believe impacts how we live. So the laws of Texas stand for what they are, whether you believe in them or not. God stands for who he is and his promises stand whether we believe in him or not. But believing in him is the most reasonable thing because his word holds true. As I said earlier, four places in the New Testament say the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Pre-law, pre-this, pre-that, and the other. So we are children of Abraham by faith that we might receive the blessing of Abraham. Now, some people love to read the blessings of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and equate those with the blessing of Abraham. I'll make you the head and not the tail. I'll make you above and not beneath. I'll make you rich and not poor. I'll make you healthy and not sick. I'll do this and I'll do that. That's the blessing for obeying the law. Disobeying the law brings the curse. Read the rest of that chapter. I'll give you hemorrhoids and tumors and headaches and all kinds of other things you don't want. The blessing of Abraham predates that. Stay in Genesis before you go to that other stuff. We are justified by faith through the faith of Abraham. He believed God. He received a miracle son. He offered up that miracle son, which was a picture of the miracle son, not just born to a couple in an old age, but born to a virgin who would come and die for the sins of the world and raise up from the dead. That's the seed, the descendant of Abraham, who would bless all the families of the earth. All right, back to our sermon. The conversation continues. God says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So now he's, he's renewed the promise of the seed that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, and now he's renewing the promise of the land. I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. That was the other side of the Euphrates. That's where those four kings came from. And he said, oh, Lord God, how shall I know that I will possess it? Now, if you look at the boundaries of the land that he promised him, it's pretty much over a third of the Middle East. <laughs> They're not even beginning to walk in the fullness of the promise given to them. But if all those people over in the Middle East are the descendants of Abraham, kind of gives you pause, okay? <laughs> His seed is called through Isaac, but Ishmael was blessed too, so moving right along. We're talking today about the blood covenant. Abram, Abram had asked, how shall I know? Now, he had believed God. God had accounted him as righteous, and then God continues with another promise that he had given him earlier. I, the one who brought you out of where you were, and I'm going to give you this land to possess it. So here's Abram, the believer, the one declared righteous, getting hit with doubt. Being a righteous believer doesn't mean you have to walk in absolute perfection 24-7, 365.25 days a year. Took account for leap year, sorry. <clears throat> He says, Lord, how shall I know? You know, you showed me the stars. What are you going to show me here? How shall I know that I will possess it? It just seems, the promise of God just seems so impossible. You know, here he is getting older. The first visitation, he was 75. You know, he's got aches that he didn't have back then. Now, how will I know? 
And the Lord initiates a blood covenant. We're going to speak to you today on the blood covenant. He has him kill a cow and cut it in half. That's about 10 gallons of blood. Kill a sheep, cut it in half. Kill a goat, cut it in half. And kill a turtle dove and a pigeon. And not cut them in half, but lay them side by side. So here, if you picture what the text says, there's possibly a pool of blood between these animals. What is this? And what is Abram doing? He's keeping the birds of prey away. He's keeping the vultures off. Stay away, stay away. I've done what God told me to do. Stay away. And then the Lord puts him to sleep. And the Lord, as a smoking oven and a burning torch, goes between these pieces. What in the world is that? This is God making an oath. Hebrews, in your notes, chapter 6, says, When God could swear by none greater, he swore by himself that by the immutability of two things, he would make his word sure. He does not lie, just saying it is truth. But he's gone beyond that. Now he has sworn to Abram his promise. So what is this? It's an ancient ritual that I believe is normally done with one animal. You shed the blood of an innocent animal, kill that animal, and make your agreement between the pieces of that animal, the agreement to your covenant. And what you're saying in doing that ceremony is may it happen to me as has happened to this animal if I break my word. If I tear up this covenant, may I be tore up. Now here's the beautiful thing. God puts Abram to sleep, and God, as a torch, burning torch, fire, and smoke, goes between the pieces by himself, making this covenant with Abram, declaring his promises to him, and giving him the bad news that his descendants are going to wind up in slavery for 400 years, which happened in Egypt. But they're going to come out with great wealth. And then God passed between the pieces. What is the burning torch and the smoking oven? It's a manifestation of God. When the children of Israel, Abram's descendants, were led to freedom out of Egypt, what led them? Moses, right? Who? Moses. But what led Moses? A pillar of fire at night. There's your burning torch and a pillar of cloud by day, there's your smoke. Manifestations of Almighty God. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Abram is asleep. Why? He can't keep his promises. He was just declared righteous, and then he fell into unbelief, right? When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a 
blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Notice it doesn't say, on that day, the Lord and Abram made a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. We'll have one coming up here on September 26th when a man and woman will stand in front of us with an efficient ministering, and they will surrender the, to the terms of the covenant they were making. They will make vows, and there may be a symbol of the vow they're making in the exchanging of rings or in the feeding one another wedding cake or the drinking of the common cup, symbolizing this is my commitment to you for life. This is what God did with Abram in this unusual Middle Eastern, medieval, ancient custom. God himself made a covenant with Abram. And the terms of this covenant will continue to be revealed. Eventually, Abram's name will be changed. His wife's name will be changed. They'll be given that miracle son, and it will be an amazing thing, all because of the blood covenant. We've been given a blood covenant. Jesus, in initiating communion, said this, he held the cup, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Now, when we think of the blood, normally we think of our redemption, that he died on the cross in our place, that he bore the punishment for the sins of the world, the wages of sin is death, that he paid for our sins by receiving, as it were, the wrath of God for the sins of the world into his own innocent self. As unjust as it was, he did that as our substitute. He came down that we could go up. He came out that we could go in. He became unclothed so that we could be clothed. He suffered so that we could live. He was made sin so that we could be made righteous. He was made poor so that we might be made rich. Beautiful. But the rest of the picture is he made a covenant with us and bore the sentence in his own body on the tree for breaking the covenant. God never broke his promise to Abram, but his son bore the penalty for our breaking the covenant with him. The wages of sin is death. The wages of breaking the covenant is capital punishment. He received into himself. This this is the law of history. Why was there the Civil War? One of the reasons were 13 states wanted to break covenant that our forefathers made. Blood was shed, not to even begin to compare that with this. But I hope you can understand this. Hebrews 6 says, When God made his promise to Abraham... Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. 
First, he received the word, he perceived the oath that was made, and then the fulfillment of what was sworn to him came into being. Christ came and gave promises. Christ came and cut a covenant. Why do we say cut a deal? I think it goes back to ancient history when people cut covenants and somehow they became deals. Covenants became contracts that lawyers can break. But that's not God's intention. He swore this oath. This is our logo as a church. It's a G with an inverted C facing back to it. It stands for Generations Church, GC, back to the G, of Granbury. Generations and Granbury Church. We're Generations Church and we're a church that's here for Granbury. But it also stands for God. God cut covenant with God for us on the cross. That, my friends, is the gospel. What are you fretting over? What are we distracted by? What are we frustrated because of? We have a covenant with God. We act like this is all there is. You kill my dog, I'm going to stomp on your cat. I mean, we live way below our privileges. We are new covenant people. Almighty God has made covenant for us and borne himself the sentence for breaking that covenant. That brings great security to me. Well, do you believe I can lose my salvation? Lose your salvation? I mean, I lose my car keys. I can't lose my salvation by losing my car keys. If I want to be an absolute fool and blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I'm throwing away the relationship I have. I don't think heaven will have anybody there that doesn't want to be there, right? But if I choose to live a life of rebellion, God has a way of dealing with us. The old King James says, if God doesn't punish his children, we're bastards. (gasps) But God has no illegitimate children. He loves us and will correct us and will straighten us up. Who's had the Lord correct you? He has a way to do it. He'll keep you up at night till you come to a place of surrender. You ever wrestle with God? Lord, I don't want to do it. He brings us to a place of repentance. In his kindness, he leads us to repentance so that we do not have to be eternally separated from him. Jesus made covenant for us. Let's pray as the praise team comes forward. Almighty God, I pray for your word to come alive to each of us, that we would live with fresh appreciation and understanding that our faith is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for the relationship we have with you. Thank you, Lord. We have a relationship with God that needs to be celebrated. The scriptures are full of imagery and metaphors to describe our relationship. Here's a little song that we used to sing when I was a kid. He's the oak and I'm the ivy. He's the potter, I'm the clay. He's the oil and I'm the vessel. 
I'm the traveler, he's the way. I'm the flower, but he is the fragrance. I'm just a lamp, but he's the flame. I'm a song, but he is my music. We're his child that bears his name. Amen. Amen.
all say amen. The Hebrew word amen or amen means to believe. I just checked. Abram, amen in the Lord. Means to build up, to support, <coughs> to render, to be faithful, to be firm, to trust, to be true, to believe, to go to the right hand. That's the authority. Amen. Believe. Amen. Live like a believer. Amen. God provides the faith. The faith promotes, promotes obedience. And obedience proves the reality of the faith. So walk in what he provides and believe and live out what your faith is telling you to do. Amen. Go get them, tigers. Amen. Ah.